Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Well, we're back for another week of the OC Office Hour, and joining me today is a repeat performer on the podcast, Jeff Mullen, longtime FBS coordinator, and today he's playing the part of observer, but we saw a lot of things in the game that we focused on here. There's a bunch of takeaways, and we're going to get into a discussion of play calling, formations, situations, even some of the plays here, and the idea of this, as I said before, is is to give you some ideas that you could take to your team and into your season and make all those adjustments. So, Coach Mullen, it's great to have you back on the podcast again. I always enjoy it, Keith. Thank you for the opportunity. So, Coach, this was a, a great week zero game. We see Northwestern and Nebraska in a very meaningful game early on, and what you pointed out right away, and I agree with, I, I thought as well, is that it was just masterful in the play calling from both offensive coordinators. Yeah, no doubt. Week zero, such a clean game specifically in the first half. Uh, you know, both schools had, I, I think, you know, just uh, five, six possessions. They averaged eight to nine plays per possession. The only time they hurt themselves, you know, might have been a false start here and there. But just, just impressed with how clean – both both teams played early and how well the quarterbacks uh, performed, no doubt. So in looking at some of these different things we're going to talk about today, we also said this is a game that situationally covered just about everything. And that's that's rare. There's a lot of times you practice those things during the week and the situations don't come up. But right away off the bat in this game, we saw quite a few of the situations and covered most of them, if not all of them. One of the things that both offensive coordinators really did a great job of is something I call play call anticipation. And coach, I think a lot of that goes into your, you know, your, your, your preparation during the game week. And then, you know, having the ability to have someone chart it for you. And we've talked often at the big O system about breaking down defenses into three groups, you know, just base defense, rushing four, a blitz defense, rushing five, and then a zero defense rushing six or more. And having the ability to chart that in-game and really get a sense for it. I thought early in the game, Nebraska was a very heavy second-down five-man blitz team. And I thought Mike Bajakian hit them a number of times with great play calls. A couple of those screens that popped, 
and some of the runs that he called, we, we have a, a thing where, it, you know, I like to run inside zone right into, or excuse me, inside or outside zone, zone right into the teeth of the blitz. And I thought Mike hit that on the head a couple times on the second down and, and, and really kept his team alive. And then, you know, th- there was early in the game where there were a couple of third downs for Nebraska where they ran an inside run right into the teeth of a safety blitz. And then the second time they had it, they were able to throw the ball and keep the drive going. So the play call anticipation by those two guys and then just having to, to deal with coming out, going in on the goal line, again, all the third down conversions. I think Nebraska was seven for nine in the first half how well they did you know the two-minute offense there was a moment there at the end of the half where we were trying to get a field goal and then at the end of the game you know the four-minute offense of northwestern to to ice it and then another shot the two-minute offense where they were trying to win the game and ended with a pick so just a just a really good job i thought by both teams being prepared uh and other than a couple of plays going either way uh, you know well executed in all those situations definitely now I'm going to step back to something you said there with play call anticipation uh, certainly as a coordinator you get a feel for those things but the information that you get during a game is important too and I've always been interested in, in seeing what people do from a charting perspective because it's really that balance of trying to get everything versus getting what's necessary so that you can start to anticipate so you can make those adjustments so you can call your plays a certain way. So what was the, the format of the chart that you guys would use or that you put together within your system? Coach, you hit it right on the head. Too much information as a play caller in game, especially when you're a tempo team, right? You know, when you're not sitting in the huddle and, and discussing what just happened and what, what we're anticipating on second down, the ability to see it coming before the drive even starts and then you hit that second along and you call that play real fast, anticipating something, you can't have too much information. So again, what we did on game day coaches, literally with a big ballpoint pen, right down on the left side, a column, first down, second down, third down, and then across the top by series, first series, second series, third series, fourth series, and then made a grid. And then within each box, I would just have someone chart base, blitz, or zero. Like it, it, you get a sense of what kind of blitz there is on their call sheet during the game, right? The NCAA blitz, corner fire, safety pressure, whatever it is. But at the end of the day, it's still a five-man pressure. And, and a lot of times it's either a field or boundary pressure that you can get a sense of from that DC in that moment during that game, again, while you're calling it fast. And so one of the things we would do is, is, and I did it during this game, is I just charted and noticed that, you know, nearly every second down, Nebraska was bringing a five-man pressure. And sure enough, late in the first quarter, early in the second, you know, the third, fourth series in there, Jakey stuck them a couple times with some really, really good play calls. And, and I, again, I'm certainly not in his head, but I'm I'm thinking that he had that anticipation and some sort of, you know, chart to help them through that process. Yeah, I like how you do that chart, and it's a lot like how we would identify in our breakdowns. I think really knowing how many guys are, are coming is important, right? You see 
today with you know the, the sims and creepers and everybody standing up on the line the double mugs and then you know of that sometimes only three guys come right so it's it wasn't a pressure and or they bring four you know it really starts to okay what how does this affect the protection so to just say that every everything's a blitz because a linebacker came doesn't necessarily uh, give you a true picture of what's happening so I like how you break it down like that into those three categories and certainly that makes it much simpler as a play caller when you can start to see the bigger picture like that where they line up is important and you've got to have a good sense of that right but where they wind up is more important right so you know it's not where they line up it's where they wind up has been a, a term that people use all the time on you say you're coaching kickoff return and you've got people crossing, coming down, and you're counting right to left, one to ten. It's very similar philosophy in terms of, all right, let's just get this thing down to the nuts and bolts of what is the philosophy behind this call? Is it a four-man rush dropping seven? Is it a three-man rush with max coverage on third and long? You know, what's the tendency there? And just don't get into specifics on what is it to the four under four deep coverage or a five under three deep coverage. I mean, you, you see the game, you have a smell for what that is, but the key in that moment is, is to know that, okay, listen, I can probably get away with empty or, or a, a five man protection. And, and I noticed in this game as well, it felt like Nebraska and Northwestern both had a thought process out of empty. You know, I, I'm certain that they, they had a chart where, you know, by formation, is there an empty check? There were a couple huge third down conversions out of empty by both teams with perfect play calls. So I felt like where people wind up based upon a down a distance or a certain formation or personnel group, you know, through very easy charts like that, you know, I think uh, really helped those two guys hit, uh, hit some play calls right on the head. Now, one of the things you pointed out in, in this game that there was the use of a lot of 12 personnel. And in the Big O offense, which we talked about on this podcast before, reading the triangle is a big part of it. But you think about 12 personnel, it starts to take the heat off of the quarterback because he has to read less. So talk to us about what you saw with that 12 personnel and go into some detail there on how it does affect the way the quarterback's going to look at things. Absolutely. You know, first of all, if you have 12 personnel and can show with those kids a 10 personnel set, now you're cooking with grease because you can get in what appears to be a two-by-two or three-by-one detached 10 personnel look. And then in the as fast as you can on the next play, get into the, you know, the two tights trips look that Northwestern, you know, hit heavy on in the second quarter. And again, quickly, I do want to make a a point about tempo. The key in tempo is to not go fast on every rep. You know, both those coaches did a great job, I think, of of saving their defenses from long drives, the, the previous possessions. They showed tempo, and then they would hard count with the same personnel, and then, of course, change personnel at times. But I thought they did a great job of mixing tempo with the ability to show fast tempo on every rep. I think, I think that's crucial. But when you get in 12 personnel in the traditional look, now you have the ability to put seven hats on seven defenders. 
every defensive coordinator is going to have the A, B, and C gap, both sides of the ball defended with every front, whether it's an odd front or even he's getting fired if those three gaps aren't defended. So with six human beings identified as the box on defense, when you add a seventh hat out of 12 personnel, you now take the perimeter player to the side of the ball off the board as well. Call it the field nickel spur or the boundary quartered safety. In any event, if you take that hat off the quarterback's read, calling it a seven-on-seven blocking scheme as opposed to a six-on-six out of 11 personnel, one of the things you do is now all you have to do is take note of the two safeties. And if you notice Northwestern, they had the long run and a fumble occurred, so it looked like a – you know, not a good play for them, but you want to talk about the perfect setup. They got into a King Trips look, ran it to the to the nub, got the boundary safety or corner, however they defend that personnel-wise on defense, got that extra hat blocked, and there was nobody left with the middle three. And so when you're able to get into some 12 personnel and take that post-snap give-throw decision off of the quarterback, it really helps him execute, and certainly you get hats on everybody. Turns the triangle from three defenders on the perimeter into more of a stick, we call it, just finding the two safeties because the D-gap defender, the I'm here, the fit player, whatever you define that play side guy as, that guy's got a hat on him by the 12 personnel tight end. Yeah, it's – it's something if you have 12 personnel and that's the, the hardest thing no yeah. doubt even in college it was tough sometimes for us recruiting yes. to find two kids that could split out and run four verts and also get in a box and put a face on you yeah 100 percent. i know when i took over at bw we were a 10 personnel team and at that time too, it was a ten personnel world, so it was it was hard to find high school offenses that were using tight ends as well. So it started with a bunch of conversions, you know, quarterbacks who were bigger, receivers who were bigger, and we're going to grow into it. But you know, we started to really develop that group, and it just added another dimension to our offense, and certainly is something you take advantage of. But the other thing I found is that. You know, you have to have a plan to coach up that position as well. And I think it's more than just, well, we're going to, you know, put these guys with a tight end coach. And I know some staffs aren't necessarily equipped that way. So the guy maybe gets bounced around between offensive line and receivers. And I'm thinking more at the high school level with a limited staff. Um, But I think having a plan for them that goes beyond, well, you go run your individual uh, is important. And I know one thing we did because we were – we were really big on the play action and, and their involvement in that is not every day, but usually one time a week. And we would make it a quick period and get a lot of reps in, but we would do a, a, a big man uh, skelly period. So we weren't using really any corners in this and the quarterbacks, you know, weren't, weren't throwing the receivers, which, you know, put the focus on how we're going to get these routes open and, you know, read a certain way to get these guys the ball. And, and I know that made those guys much more effective and it made the quarterbacks 
I think ability to see those guys, right? Because they're running through traffic, running their drags or their shallows or whatever it might be, or, uh, you know, using their bodies in space rather than beating people vertically on, on f- things like four verts. Uh, those are important things to really work with a quarterback and work with those players. Yeah, no doubt. The, the, the bigger your personnel group, the easier it is for a quarterback, I mean, period. You know, the, the 10 personnel quarterbacks have to be extremely talented between the ears and with their arms and legs, you know, because you're just going to, you're going to lack the numbers on a lot of occasions. So, you know, the bigger personnel you can get to, I think the easier it is for any quarterback at any level. Um, I will say one of the things we did, and I think you see a lot of colleges doing this, is having an inside receivers coach and an outside receivers coach. And for us, the inside receivers coach then had to be had to be the dude. So let's let's just put in our heads we're in ten personnel. We're on the left hash. We're two by two. The boundary Z and the field S are the two inside receivers. When we go to eleven personnel, we take the Z off the field and put the H in. Right, that's the hybrid tight end fullback. Everything the Z does from a route concept, the H does. There's no new teaching. There's no new routes. There's no new anything. All right? Anything the Z does from in the backfield, the H does. All right? It's just a different body type. And then the same thing with, you know, blocking or, or meshing or being the pitch back or whatever it is. And the same thing with the slot. When we go 12 personnel, then we take the S out and put the Y in. There, you you got to look at offenses, nine humans on the field that never change. Two outside X's, Bible linemen, a quarterback, and a tailback. Clearly, you're going to sub people in and out. But those positions stay put, and then you have what we call adjusters. The Z and the H, and the S and the Y. And again, ZS 10, HY 12. But the key is that the guy who's coaching those four positions, even though physically they're a lot different, the rules in the playbook are the same for the Y and the S and the S and the H. So if we're in 12 personnel, I pro one run and drive, the H is going to have the shallow and the Y is going to have the dig, no different than 10 personnel drive. The Z is going to have the shallow and the S will have the dig. So, there are some ways behind the scenes within your book and system you can make that easier, but there's no question, Keith. That's that's always been the hard thing is not only to find the body type that can play in and out, but how do you break it down as a coaching staff? Coach, getting back into the situations, uh, there was a lot of the situation that you call black zone. So talk to us about, number one, what the black zone is. I think we might've talked about that on a previous podcast, but we could use a refresher. And then some of the things that you saw there that you liked. Yeah. First of all, you know, by definition, you know, your goal line to the minus 10 is the black zone. When you do end of season cutups, it, it, it will only populate, you know, 10 to 15 series over the entire season. You know, Nebraska had two in the opener. So you know, that, that was something that really caught my eye. A couple of thoughts coming out of that, and, and certainly Coach Whipple had the same thoughts we did, where you're going to 100% down there getting too tight, create long edges. Again, take any type of triangle pressure reads off your cue. 
you're definitely going to run inside zone, stay away from pullers down there. There's a lot, don't get me wrong. I love power and counter huge part of what I think every uh, high school and college and pro team should carry. Always got to give the center an out with a block back. If you're asking him to reach the front side, a gap on, inside or outside zone all day you're really putting a lot of pressure on him but down here coming out it does eliminate the chance for run throughs and minus yardage plays i thought i did a good job with that and then you know carrying an eight-man max protection i thought is is really important just to take a shot try and win the drill but i was really interested and and i thought coach whipple did a great job and might have got booed out of the stadium by the fans but you know it was I think third and seven on his own three yard line and decided to run inside zone on third down down there out of 12 personnel, get it to the five, which is crucial. And honestly, it has to be your first goal coming down there. As we all know, the punter needs that type of depth, you know, so you're not in tight punts. And the, the Nebraska putter then was able to turn the field over. I think the Northwestern started on uh, it was the 45 but he did get it across the 50 because of that play call so i thought that was a really good job by coach whipple being prepared having his kids ready taking a shot and uh you know certainly not giving up points on that possession to to northwestern with that area of the field again it's something that doesn't come up every single week but you have to practice it every week when you look at putting together a, a game plan what's the philosophy of beyond some of those things you said right no pullers etc carrying something week to week that's very similar maybe gets a few adjustments formationally uh, but how similar does your game plan stay there so that over the course of the season you're you're repping it more and more each week and it's not changing that's exactly the point it's 100 percent um, we, you know, so Tuesday was the big padded day for us in college. We would, uh, every Tuesday, the, the situations we worked were coming out the black zone, going in the brown zone, which you saw Nebraska also have to execute there from the three yard line in goal line offense. And then third and short, those were the three big things we hit on Tuesdays, big padded practices. And we got after pretty good in those practices. But one of the things that our kids knew every Tuesday on a five-minute period, we were going to run four plays in the black zone. They were going to be the same philosophy. It was going to be an inside zone out of 12 personnel with long edges, creative as you can get there. We were going to have outside tags with hitches and speed outs, nothing that came inside that could get tipped or deflected for a pick. We were going to take an eight-man pressured shot we were going to have the quarterback sneak, which I think is crucial on the uh, if you have it on the minus one um, or inside the minus one, I should say. And then we were going to have a third down call, and uh, the only third down call we would carry there, at, you know, at the college level, if you've got holding, your uh, your you know, and your football or your quarterback has the football in the end zone, that's you know, that's two points. Uh, certainly, sacks and all those kind of things can happen as well. So. Again, just to win the drill to get the ball to the five and at least run for a first down if we were going to take a shot at, at, at getting the third down. We were carrying a three-step. So quarterback sneak, inside zone, play action, and the three-step third down call. And those four calls got practiced 
out of different 12 personnel formations and looks every Tuesday, you know, period five, four plays on the left hash, four plays on the right hash. And, you know, like you said, coach, if you don't run those four plays in a game, you just copy paste it to your next week and you run it again. But the best part about it is your kids have a plan. They know their identity. They know what they're going to do to win that drill. And so when it comes up in a ball game, very, very high levels of execution and confidence in making those calls and and getting those first downs. I know one thing as the season got going for us that really emphasized with the guys that you know what the plan is down here. You know, especially on that first play, we'd put them on the minus one to start. You know what the call is going to be. Why? Why are you waiting for the signal? Let's let's get the period going. You know what it's going to be. You know what the second call is going to be, right? Because we would do it the same way every single week. And for us, that first call minus one uh, was, you know, we're going to do our our inside run, our inside zone, and it was going to be uh, on a long count because the the risk exactly. and reward there. I mean, the goal to get to the five, you got it right away if they jump, right? So that's always what we were working, but. The other point is that there was that consistency week to week. And so they knew the types of plays. They knew the objectives. They knew things we wanted to stay away from that got risky. And I think that's a huge part of winning situational football is that your guys have some confidence in it. Crucial. And, and, and again, I thought both schools did a great job this weekend in a lot of areas. You know, it, it, not only the, the coming out and going in, but, you know, two-minute, four-minute offense. I just was really impressed with that. Yeah, and in the four-minute offense, it's it's something that I believe you need to practice. You need to find ways to simulate it. You're not going to stand there and chew up practice clock, but you know, guys know, and and we would, you know, we didn't have a play clock at practice, but we would verbally tell them there's you know seven seconds on the clock, right? So the quarterback knew when to start his operations, right, and how how they were going to do it there. And again, that was another area when we went to four minute, there was going to be a lot of carryover because the types of plays we wanted to run in those situations definitely fit a certain pro- profile, just like they do in the black zone. Yeah, there's no doubt. And, and you know, one of the things that a big believer in, like we all talk about is tempo. And this is another example of it. You know, slowing down the tempo is a form of tempo. And so whether you calling it a freeze cadence or, you know, whether you, you got, you know, just a bunch of dummy calls in there and your O-line knows you, you're, we're not going to start the, the actual cadence until I use this word, you know, whatever it is that choose the clock and however you choose to slow that tempo down, let's get lined up fast first. Let's, even in that moment, let's try to eliminate, you know, their ability to substitute people in and out and get exotic pressures called and all that stuff. Heck, let's sometimes get in a, in a huddle and sugar huddle it. And then, you know, just where you, your, your perimeter players are already lined up. They've got their calls, their blocking tags, or their three-step tags, or their route tags, whatever you're calling for them. And then, you know, the other, let's, you know, call it nine guys in 12 personnel are in a sugar huddle. And at 10 seconds, you break it and snap it quick. So there are a lot of ways to work that tempo in four-minute offense, and I think, I think that's when you work it in practice. You know, hey, guys, this is, this is what we're working and why, right? And then, you know, the other thing that I really noticed about, you know, what Northwestern did good is, man, they ran the same play six plays in a row. 
I mean, they got in that 12 personnel trips bunch with the tail back in the strong belly position and ran duo. I mean, right into the teeth of a smoke two back or blitz three or four times. And then into base defense three or, you know, two or three times. And it was phenomenal and, and literally ate up the majority of the fourth quarter. And if you noticed, I did like what Coach Frost did taking those three timeouts on defense. Saves you so much time head coaches out there if you take them on defense as opposed to saving them for offense and as an offensive play caller I would much rather you know with Whipple at Nebraska personally I'd rather have two minutes on the clock and no timeouts you know than 30 seconds on the clock and three timeouts so I, I really like what what both guys did in that situation from a coaching standpoint but back to the four minute oh man <laughs> Run it again. Run it again. I could imagine the, the, the signalers and the rest of the staff going, are you serious, coach? Like, yep, run it again. And I think as play callers, we get away from that too, too easy. I noticed it earlier in the game too, Keith, where um, Nebraska hits the unbalanced counter trade for a touch. The very next series, Whipple runs it again. The, the long King Trips counter trade that Bajakian ran with Northwestern the, the, the play where the kid fumbled the very next series, he runs it again. I mean, same look, same everything. And I think it's very important as play callers that when you find something that works, running it again is, is not a bad call. Yeah, especially when the game is on the line like that, four minutes to go. And I, I want to uh, go over a couple things there that I think are important. I 100% agree with you on – the sugar huddle as something to use in this situation. And uh, for us, I could think back to, you know, we're, we were on the road at Otterbein, you know, near, near Columbus, Ohio, mm-hmm. uh, Otterbein no, University. And, uh, you know, we're, we're in that four minute situation trying to end the game. And, you know, we're at the time we're no huddle. We had no, no huddle situations. We're just, everybody's standing there watching the clock. What I didn't like, is they had a time to look at a lot of time to look at our our formation and get those calls and so even when you hurry to the ball I mean you're running that 40 second clock now when you run the the sugar huddle you put that up tempo feel back into the offense you know what what does it do well uh, they're going to have very little time to see what you end up for in formationally yeah they know you got your two guys out wide but on the interior where, uh, where the, you know, the extra gaps might be, where the strength is, et cetera, they got to, you know, recognize and align and, and adjust re- very quickly from there. So even though you're slowing down the clock, you have that effect of still being up-tempo and forcing them potentially play a little bit more vanilla, which you would like in that situation because you know they're probably doing everything they can to bring people to try to disrupt your schemes. No doubt, and this is how you teach it you got to call the play backwards a little bit, right? If you're going to call, you know, Jack, hot penguin, stick roll, the first thing you have to do is you have to look at the wideouts and say, hey, stick to the right, roll to the left, or inside run block to the right, inside run block to the left. Your wide receiver signaler has to put that out there first as you as the quarterback signaler signaling huddle or sugar huddle, right? And then what you do is you have the quarterback walk out of the huddle and you give him the formation. All right, Jack for us is both tight ends 
behind the right tackle in an eye pro look. All right, now they're both off. I like in the sugar huddle to have both my wideouts on so they don't have to, you know, just by rules, so they have to look up and go, my honor, I'm off, and all of a sudden we snap it, you get a penalty. So every time we sugar huddled, we only got in formations where the two wideouts were on. And that, that was important. So we would we would get in Jack, but what the quarterback would do is then he'd walk back in the huddle and goes, all right, boys, we're going to be a Jack here, Jack. And the five linemen would stand up as big as they could, and the two H-backs would sneak behind them and get to the right tackle as quickly, like, hiding. Yes. When we broke the huddle, they could get right into Jack. And then with 10 seconds, he would come back in and again, all right, boys, let's go Jack Hot Penguins. Ready, break. We'd sprint the line, say ready, go, and snap power to the right as fast as we could. And so that that you're right. You you get to eat the clock, but you're hiding the strength of your formation. The three technique on defense, if they're a strength defense, it might have some troubles getting lined up. If they're blitzing the back, they might have some troubles sending the blitz. There's all different kind of things you can hide with those other nine players in that last 10 seconds that I think can really help you succeed, you know, to, to gain yardage necessary to keep the ball and continue to run four-minute offense. Definitely. I think there's some application of that huddle, too, to any time you're going to change personnel. And I know a lot of, of teams now mm, say, well, we're going to get into an 11 or 12 and still be able to run our spread sets and our, our uh, you know, tighter sets, et cetera. And there certainly is value to that. I think you do it. But I, I also think of you you have those situations maybe. Uh, maybe you come up on a third down where you want a bigger group in the game um, to still do those things. And, you know, one, uh, you can keep them from standing over the ball, the officials. As soon as you huddle, they'll, they'll go away. So you have yep. that um, when you can get out of, you know, get out of that huddle right away and snap the ball. Uh, but the other thing, too, is, again, you're not showing them, okay, the tight end came to the game. He's lining up there to the left. Here's what we're going to do, right? So, so it, it, I don't mean to interrupt you, Coach. That's a great idea and honestly hadn't thought of it until <laughs> this moment. God's honest truth. And I'm telling you, if I was going into the office tomorrow as a, as a ball coach, I would invent a sugar huddle personnel grouping. And literally. If I wanted to go from 10 to 11 or 11 to 12, I would say sugar, and that group would get in the, line, in the game, and my two X's would get on the ball, and then we'd call the play. And we'd break the huddle whenever we wanted it, but it'd be when the official's out of the way, and we can sprint to the line and get this thing going in tempo and still change personnel groupings. That's a phenomenal idea, Coach. Yeah, it's something I really started to think about, you know, in, in the, the the first years of being up-tempo, the, the rules didn't have the officials standing over the ball. Right. And so we would, we were great about getting people onto the field fast. Now, as soon as they changed that, I was like, well, we've kind of lost our advantage there. So we had to come up with yep. something different. Such a good idea. Great idea. Coach, we were talking a little bit about counter. And I know you, you really like the counter play and some things that you can pair with that as well. So talk to us about what you saw in this particular game and some of the things you like to do with the counter. Yeah, you know, first of all, the, the the ability to save your center. I mean, that's that was the thing. I used to be a, a zone-only guy because I was a tempo-only guy and started as a throw-only guy, right? And um, I shouldn't say started with that, but went through that process and, and really didn't understand how necessary it was to always carry gap runs and the reasons for your center. 
when the center, any, every old line coach will tell you, when the center gets an opportunity to block back, he's, he's I mean, you, air quotes, taking a rep off. Reaching a human being in the front side A gap, whether it's on an inside zone or outside zone technique, whether it's with hand help or not, you do that all day long, that's difficult, right? You're going to get short necked quickly. So I, I love the counter. I love the power for that reason alone. But in this particular ball game, I really loved how both coaches ran it out of multiple sets. Again, whether it was back to the nub of the you know two tights trips look at Northwestern, the 11 personnel on balance look that scored for Nebraska, having the ability to take that play and run it out of multiple sets and again, you know, running it with tempo and not with tempo, boy, you can build a game plan off of that because we're seeing a lot guard pull type play actions, whether they're just the pop pass reads or, you know, downfield shots. You're seeing that that, that type of action, if you're carrying power and counter and specifically counter from a t- protection standpoint, you're, you know, you're going to really help your, your football team. And then the other thing, Coach, just on counter, I know there's a big debate upon is counter and power for that matter. Is this a a man scheme where my pulling guard, you know, if we're seeing wrong arm up front to the H, okay, let's 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 just go ahead and run counter. We're talking counter. We're in I'm a guard H counter team, but it doesn't matter if you're a GT or GH for the purposes of this conversation. But let's say the the right tackle's gapping, the left guard's pulling to kick, and he gets wrong arm. What do you teach the H, right? The debate is, should he bounce for the play side linebacker, or should he dig and hold the A gap open, knowing the play side linebacker's going to scrape out to the C gap and be a non-factor if the running back's taught correctly. And, and that's that's the way we've always leaned, Coach, whether it's, if you're running power and the H gets wrong armed, the pulling guards now taught to hold it open. The A back is taught front side A to back side A off the back block. And on counter for the H, if the guard pulls in the H, we teach him to hold it open. And again, the tailback, we want front side A to back side A. Big believer in that part of this offense i think sometimes when you when you talk power and counter you take away from that and try to get hats on hats trying to match what the defensive coordinator is giving you from a technique standpoint up front i think you lose some of the toughness and uh grit from that play that it just naturally gives and the ease for the o-line to naturally execute it and then of course if you are getting a lot of that, I think it's important that, you know, you carry the power bounce and the counter bounce and play actions off of it. So as a play caller, you can at least help your kids um, if, if the wrong arm is getting too difficult. Yeah, uh, you have to have some answers for it. Uh, just like you said, you know, your, your center having to reach all game uh, it becomes a difficult thing. Well, if you run a lot of counter, you know, your, your guy who's kicking out, him getting wrong-armed all game is going to be difficult for him too. So you have to have some things that, you know, are going to be change-ups, right? You throw those guys a curveball, and now that guy maybe isn't uh, so quick to uh, aggressively wrong-arm that that it just slows him down a bit and makes it easier for your guy. 
it's no different than you know you're you're talking about a wide receiver say he's an inside receiver and he's got to run you know his vertical route but if these two blitzers comes he has to convert it to a hot route you you can execute and teach that and that's sound teaching but that's diff, more difficult on that kid you know you're a you're an outside receiver and at 15 yards you're supposed to come back or if you're even then you're leaving then you take it and again that's coachable and a lot of people do it and you know or you can take those decisions off of the kids and put them in a good position with your play call because you're getting good information from the top, your kids, you know, you're trusting your eyes and you're calling the game instead of just picking plays off a sheet and hoping the kids don't screw it up. So I've always, you know, leaned towards trying to help the kids as much as possible, uh, whether it's a wide out on conversion routes, you know, or a puller trying to, to read a, a log or a insert you know, type of pull. And, uh, you know, I, I feel like it, you know, especially if you're young, you know, if you've got a young team and not as talented a team, taking stuff out of their heads is going to help them on Friday night for sure. 100%. I'm with you. It took only two interceptions for us to abandon that. If you're, you know, if you're even, you're leaving <laughs> that rule. Stop coaching that a long time ago. Yeah. Yeah. So, so uh, I, I agree. Trying to, you know, in, in anything you do, I think you have to have those answers built into your game plan. You need to look at how you're attacking oh, yeah. different people. Um, as an example, I think for a long time uh, in, in the 10 personnel era when it was a, just a ton of inside zone, you think about what did those defensive ends have to prepare for? Well, they were going to be uh, red and left alone uh, by the quarterback or someone was, was trying to, uh, to reach them on a combo. And that was it. They didn't have a whole heck of a lot to prepare for. But now when, you know, maybe we're going to kick you out. Maybe we're going to come right at you. Maybe we're going to go away and read you. Um, maybe somebody's going to come down on you from the outside because we have, a, you know, a tight end in the game. So as you start to do more and more of those things, uh, it makes it more difficult on that defender. You're starting to stress him out. And, you know, it, it goes in uh, your pass game. We were like back way back to my my first year uh, as a head coach, and we you know we needed a, a really good quick game because we couldn't protect long. We weren't very big, so the way that that quick game was effective was, you know that that defender was you know he was going to have something thrown in front of him, he was going to have something thrown behind him, inside of him, outside of him, all those things throughout the game that didn't just let him sit in one technique and try to anticipate and play us. So I think as you can have that mix for all your guys, and especially I think there's guys you have who can really handle just about anything, even when it's difficult. But you have those other guys that you better think about, how am I game planning to help this guy out, which is what you've really had as the theme through all of this, right? Make it easier for that guy. Yeah, no doubt. And, and I th just a couple of things. <laughs> I love this conversation. But, but first first thing is like doing all those things, reading them, kicking them out, logging them out of the same alignment and formation. You know, I think that's a big part of it as well. Carrying your answer plays out of identical looks. So pre-snap, he can't get a H back alignment, tailback alignment, you know, slot on or off offensive lineman, wide splits, short split up or down, you know, all those type of things. If you can, 
if you can marry them together. And then just going back to the reason for this call, Coach, that the start of the game with Northwestern and Nebraska was kind of a, a tale of two different thought processes. And I agree with Coach Whipples on this one with Nebraska. Nebraska wins the ball or, or, or takes the ball, course, goes down and scores. You know, six, seven, eight play drive. Northwestern, on the other hand, after the score, they've got uh, – it's a pretty decent drive, six, seven plays, but, man, there was, there was a false start. We had to, uh, to take a timeout. We had guys on and off the field. And, and this conversation of keeping it simple for your kids, I think keeping it simple early also matters. And I say that from a play caller standpoint. Both teams tried to go up-tempo, which I really like. And, again, they would line up fast and either snap it fast or not snap it fast, but they were lining up fast and putting pressure on the opponent. And Nebraska did it great. I think they were in 12 personnel the entire drive in five, six, seven different sets. But they were stationary, normal, two-by-two, three-by-one sets. And as a play caller, what that allows you to do is really – get a sense of where that triangle is going to be out of these two by two and three by one sets to give yourself a thought process the rest of the game. Okay. When I just, you know, keep it simple, this is how they're going to defend me. I got a couple play calls in my pocket. Now this direction, well, we definitely want to hit this answer play because of what I saw on my normal, you know, core run, whereas Nebraska, well, they were an empty, they were an unbalanced, uh, they went from 12 personnel to 10 personnel. They were doing a lot of different things, you know, ripping the back out of the backfield. And it caused some early confusion. And I, I think it took, you know, Mike a little bit longer to get into that rhythm of uh, of really knowing what was the best play call in that moment and finding blitz tendencies and, you know, where their triangle was going to line up to base formations and, you know, those type of things. So, you know, number one, Let's put a defender in a in, in conflict just with base offense, whether it's a kick out or a log. Let's do it with the same personnel formation and alignment. But the other thing, and I think a takeaway from this game, is just how you start it. Uh, we would script 15 plays. We would script 12, and then the first third and short, first third and medium, first third and long. And then literally those 12 plays, they were coming from our base set. They were our bread and butters because I wanted to get a sense after that first and sometimes second series, if you go three and out, as to how they were going to play us. And that really helped me concentrate on what were the best calls moving forward. Coach, a lot of great stuff from that single game today. Uh, Definitely some takeaways that apply to whatever kind of offense you run uh, and things that you can do right now in season. So I appreciate you putting the detail into it and how you watched that game. I know it was a tough assignment, Coach. You had to watch football. <laughs> but I uh, really appreciate what you put together for us here. Coach, love doing it, love talking ball, and uh, happy to help any way we can. And for our listeners out there, I want you to be sure to check out uh, where you get some more details on some of the things that Coach talked about today. If you go to coachtube.com, slash Jeff Mullen. You could see the Big O system there. He's got uh, 11 courses on there now, uh, which provide a lot of details about some of the things that you have there. I'll link those in the show notes and make specific reference to uh, some of those that fit the different topics that we were talking about here. And Coach, uh, would certainly love to get you back here later in the season and talk some more ball. 
Always here for you, Coach. All right, Coach. Take care, and uh, listeners will be back again next week with another offensive coordinator on the OC Office Hour.